Well, good morning. Thank you, Billy. Uh, if you were here last week, Travis had an offhand remark. He said that in counting up the amount of times he had preached from this pulpit, it was not this pulpit, any pulpit in general, it was about 1,500. On the back of my mind, this is number three. So uh, <laughs> buckle up. This is going to be great. No pressure at all. Okay. We have two scripture texts we're going to use today, so that's going to be my saving grace. I'm just going to double the amount of scripture. So the first one is Genesis 12, and the second is Luke 5. If you have your copy of scripture, you can put your finger in those two places. Genesis 12 and Luke 5. I do have one announcement. The last three Sundays, Travis has been speaking on evangelism. And so in order to make this a little bit more real, our summer intern, Kaya, who was up here earlier, is going to be doing a evangelism workshop alongside myself. It's on Tuesday the 30th from 6 to 7 in the Student Center. So if you want to simply practice your testimony, have some tips on how to engage conversation, or simply just make it a little bit more natural, that will be on Tuesday the 30th, an evangelism workshop. So we hope to see you there. I'm going to use some old material, because this is my third sermon. I'm running out of material at this point. But if you were here on Monday, Thursday, I told this story, and I'm a creature of habit. I like to do the same thing every single morning to get me into my routines. There's a two and a half mile trail around Lady Anne Lake, a little bit closer to Madison out on the boondocks. It's a 2.6 miles to be exact. It takes me 21 minutes to jog it. If I'm going slowly, it takes me 37 minutes to walk. And so this is my morning routine. Every single morning at 6.30, I like to get up and I like to do this trail. That's how I feel centered for the rest of the day. This is my practice every single morning. One of the things that I do when I'm doing this trail is I listen to podcasts. So my favorite podcast is called Radio Lab. And there was an episode about four or five months ago called Loops. Loops is the story of Christine Campbell and her mother, Mary Sue. So Christine gets a call one day, and it's her mom, and she's anxious, and you can, if you ever picked up the phone and had a call from someone, you instantly know in the pit of your stomach that something's wrong. Well, her mom says, my calendar says it's August of 2010, and then she pauses. Well, it started her, Christine, the daughter, because it was, in fact, August of 2010. And then the mom says, I'm also a little bit afraid there's a black truck outside the driveway, and I don't know whose it is. So immediately Christine calls 911 and thinks her mom has a stroke. The black truck belongs to her mom's boyfriend of the last three years. And so she rushes to the hospital and the doctors come out and tell her, there's nothing to worry about. Your mother has something called global transient amnesia. This is something Travis mentioned about a month or so ago. I don't know what the cause of it is, but it's going to be okay. It typically lasts for about 24 hours and then she's back to normal. And so Christine goes into her mom's room and begins to have a conversation with her. And she begins to record the conversation. It's on YouTube. You can actually watch it because the conversation she has with her mom begins to run in a loop. So first, her mom asks her what the date is. She asks her if she's missed her birthday party, to which she says yes. Her mom says, dang it. And then she asks her, how did I get in the hospital? And she said the story of the day. Her mom says, that's creepy. And then she pauses and then her mom asks her what the date is. And if she missed her birthday and says, dang it. And then asks her how she got in the hospital. And this same conversation every 90 seconds begins to go on a loop. And so what doctors have determined with global transamnesia, and even us in our normal healthy selves, is that our brain loves 
patterns. Even in our times of crisis and even in our times of normalcy, we revert to these systems, to these routines, to these predictable behaviors. That entire intro is just to say that I am normal. What I do every single morning is not out of the blue. I am not weird, Allie, right? This is, a, this is something that's normal. These predictable behaviors are typically what we revert to. Now, the story of Genesis, of Genesis 12, what we're going to get to today, is also a story of loops, of predictability, of behaviors, and of structure. The Hebrew tribe in Genesis is thought, Genesis itself is thought to be written during the time of Babylonian captivity. Now, what does this mean and why does this matter? If you have written the oral history of your people in a time of captivity, it's because your people are enslaved to someone else. And they haven't been just enslaved to this superpower, but they've been enslaved to every single superpower in the region before them. And they eventually will be enslaved by the superpowers to come as well. There becomes a predictable pattern of being someone else's property. And so one thing becomes their singular focus. What is that? That is survival. It is us versus them. It's every man for himself. It's us and our people, and we're simply fighting for our lives. And this cycle begins to form, that everything that has happened will happen again, that our ancestors were enslaved, our parents were enslaved, our children will be enslaved, and their children will be enslaved. This loop, this view of history begins to run in a loop. You get stuck within this cycle that nothing new happens. The only thing that we have time for is simply staying alive. Now, Abram, at this point in the story, is not Abraham, our father Abraham, but he does something different. What does Abram do? He leaves his father's household, right? He sets out on a journey that's going to kick off the narrative of the Bible. He leaves home. He breaks a cycle. He steps out into the unknown. Why is this something to talk about? It's because this is a revolutionary idea. I don't know if your people is an enslaved people group. If we've been stuck in the same cycle and someone decides to leave, they're doing something new. This is something to write about. But first, in order to do this, he has to leave home. So this is all within the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12, which is our first scripture. So if you have your Bible or your copy of scripture with you on your phone, this is Genesis 12. Verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 1 is the key. What does verse 1 say? It says to do three things. To go from your country, to go from your people, and to go from your father's household. This is the revolutionary idea. That their tribe is no longer singularly focused on survival. Their tribe instead is not about us versus them. It's not about that we are the oppressed and they're the oppressors. Those things are still true. But their destiny, their calling is something new. Their calling is to be a tribe that blesses other tribes, right? This is something to write Genesis about. This change is so powerful in Abram's life that five chapters later, he's going to change his name. Abram, which means father on high, to Abraham. Does anyone know what Abraham means? 
Abraham means father of a multitude. He's no longer the father of our tribe. He is the father of all tribes. This calling on his life is so fundamental. It's so groundbreaking that it forever changes his destiny. It changes his name. The question that this story asks us is this. Are we doomed to repeat the same old cycle or can we do something different? Can we head in a new direction or are we stuck in the loop? This is something that I like to call the second invitation. It's the invitation into something more. It's an invitation into something deeper, into something riskier, more challenging. The last three weeks, Travis has been talking about evangelism. I think this is the natural first invitation. We've all accepted this invitation at some level in order to be in this room. I accepted the call to follow Christ when I was seven years old on the swing set of the backyard in Springfield, Missouri. At that moment, is seared into my brain. It mattered. But there are next steps in our spiritual journey, right? We can't get stuck in the loop of what initially happened. We continue on this spiritual journey from evangelism into discipleship, into formation. This is the second invitation. It's the same question as given to Abram. Will you leave the comfort of your first calling and will you do something a little bit deeper? Now, I don't want to downplay first invitations, right? They matter. It's the calling into a spiritual life. An invitation as well can be more than just a spiritual life. It can be a calling into a career, or maybe you sense a calling into a certain educational program. Whatever that might be, that first invitation forever submits your identity, right? It puts you on a course, in a direction, in a path that forever will dictate where you're headed in life. One of my favorite stories of first invitations is of a pastor friend of mine in Texas. Her name is Mary. And Mary was born with a birth defect, left the left side of her face deformed. And so in order to avoid her friend's questions and the bullies at school, she would tell people that she just fell down the stairs and just banged up her face. She didn't want the ridicule of having to be known that she was going to live with this the rest of her life. But not only did this affect the left side of her face, but also affected her hearing And so what is the worst day at school for someone with that type of deformity? It's the hearing test day in elementary school. Now, Mary tells the story of her teacher who is Miss Leonard. Miss Leonard would typically go to the students. She would get them close. She would whisper in their ear and have them repeat something back to her. And so she would say something like, the sky is blue, or I like apples, or I like your shoes. And the child would repeat it back, showing that their hearing was a-okay. But Mary tells a story that Miss Leonard didn't say the sky is blue or she likes apples. She said seven words that forever changed her life. She said, I wish you were my little girl. Those are, those are life blessing, life altering words. Those words forever shaped her identity. She still remembers that story to this day. That was her first invitation into feeling known, into feeling loved, into being wanted, and that she was okay. But I, I want to put one tangent on the end of her story. I think this is the second invitation for her teacher, Mrs. Leonard. It's the invitation that she didn't see her occupation as a teacher, as someone who only teaches, but instead as someone that helps her students see their worth, right? That's going deeper in her calling at her career. I would like to, to say that our church has a similar second invitation. 
the one like Mrs. Leonard accepted and to seeing her job as something a little bit more. Remember the story of FBC's foundation some 210 years ago? Does anyone remember what the name of our church was 210 years ago? It was Elon First Parentheses Missionary Baptist Church, right? But it, the key word in the title is the word in the parentheses. I love that we just had to put it in parentheses. It's so passive aggressive. I love it. It's that word that would get us kicked out of the association of churches in the area, right? That was our first invitation. This word that we put in the parentheses matters so deeply that we're willing to be kicked out of something because we want it in our name. Right? That forever puts our church on a trajectory, on a path, that missions here matters. It's enough to get us kicked out of something because we believe in it. But at the end of the day, we can't get stuck 210 years ago. We're called once again, over and over again, a series of second invitations into a deeper calling, into realizing that that word in the parentheses, missionary, continues to matter today. And we still have to wrestle with putting that in our title. I'm not saying that we should change the name of the church, but I'm saying that that put us on a trajectory. And if we stay in that place, we're going to get stuck in the same cycle that I have every single morning in Lady Anne Lake. Abram's first invitation was a movement, a cycle of every tribe for himself to now being a tribe that blesses others. And this is our invitation as well. Will we move the same movement that Abram and his tribe moved to? Uh, if you know me, you know that I love Harry Potter. And I love the fact that this is probably the first time that Harry Potter has ever been mentioned from this podium. Harry Potter, the, the, one of the best stories about it is the author, J.K. Rowling, came up with the idea when she was on a train going home. Uh, she tells in the Harvard commencement speech that she was recently divorced. She didn't have a place to live. She was almost living on the streets and she was as poor as you could be in modern Britain and came up with this idea of a boy named Harry who had special powers on her way home. And so she put it into a manuscript form and she sent it off to every publisher that she could find in England and all of them turned her down. Except for one eight-year-old girl who loved the first chapter so much that she made her dad, the editor at Bloomsbury Publishing House, a failing, almost bankrupt publishing house in London, buy her first copy. And so the editor, the father of the eight-year-old girl, tells JK, hey, you should change your name on the bottom of the book from your first name to JK because if people know that you're a female, they probably won't read your book. And second of all, don't quit your J job because you're not going to make any money selling these books. No one's going to buy a a bunch of books about mystical creatures. Right, the joke's on him. That's the highest selling series of books in the history of the world. She's doing okay for herself. But there's also lessons within the story that I love. This, is, this might be a, a spoiler, but it came out in 2002, so I don't really feel bad about spoiling what the story is. In the end of book four of the seven book series, Dumbledore is the Miss Leonard. He's the teaching figure in their story. And he gives Harry the student, an invitation. It's a second invitation. He can either continue on his trajectory as just a normal student, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be a normal kid just like everybody else. Or you can go a little bit deeper in this battle between good and evil. And so he says this quote to Harry. 
Dumbledore says, dark times lie ahead of us, and there will be a time when we must choose between what is right and what is easy. So for me, there's two things here. One is the choice to be able to see meaning. Uh, I noticed this about uh, six weeks ago. That was Allie and I's wedding day. I'm still fidgeting with the ring. It still feels weird. Not in a superstitious way. It doesn't mean anything. But there is, there is the moment, and it leads significance to things. Things don't necessarily lead significant to moments. Now what I mean, this is the suit that I wore on my wedding day, and it still is hyper-starched, and it is incredibly uncomfortable. You're probably just as uncomfortable seeing me in a suit as I am wearing one. But this is the suit that I wore on my wedding day, right? And, and nobody cares about the socks that I'm wearing today, but these are the socks that I wore when I walked down the aisle. Right? No one cares about these socks. They probably have a hole in them. But there's something special about the moment in which they were engaged with, right? Nobody cares about the old crappy Oldsmobile that you drove home from the hospital in when your son was born. But that was the Oldsmobile that you drove home with your son in when he was born from the hospital, right? It's, it's the moment that gets significant to the thing. It's not the thing that gives significant to moments. But there's also the choice to be able to see it, right? There is a recognition that this moment in history matters. And we can either choose to see the meaning within those things and within those moments, or we can just chalk them up to one more thing. And two, the second thing in Dumbledore's court to Harry is that there is the choice to do something deeper in what we do. This is the same invitation that Abram and the disciples have. You can go deeper and explore what it truly means to be rooted in what you do, not only in your spiritual life, but in your career, in your parenting, whatever that might be, to be courageous, to be rooted, to be virtuous, to go deeper. And we can reject the second calling, right? The choice is there, and that's fine. I don't think it matters. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that going the easy way is worth it. The second text today is Luke 5, verses 4 through 7. So if you have your Bible or your phone, you can flip there. Luke 5, 4 through 7. And when he, Jesus, finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. So Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets themselves began to break. And so they signaled their partners from the other boats to come and help. And they came and they filled their boats as well, so full that they began to sink. Now to be clear, the calling of Abram in Genesis 12 and the calling here of the disciples and Luke 5 is their first invitation. This invitation, if they choose to accept it, will forever alter the course of their tribe, but of history itself. But I want to contend that this first invitation is also our second invitation. It's the calling to put our nets a little bit deeper. Does anyone know what the, the definition of insanity is? I had the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And my family would say, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. Right? It's the mentality that if we keep doing this and we don't do something new, uh, you might be crazy. But what if it's not crazy to do the same thing over and over and over again, 
But what if that instead is the definition of faithfulness? What if it's the idea that we do the same thing over and over again, we put our nets a little bit deeper, and we expect that God's going to do something with that net? The question then is, will you be faithful in accepting the second invitation into going deeper in your faith? Will you be faithful in welcoming others? Will you be faithful about being proud of the word in the parentheses? Will you be faithful in speaking of your faith? Will you be faithful in being a person who talks about what Jesus means to be? Will we be faithful as a tribe that is no longer about ourselves, but a tribe instead like Abram that is on the destined path to be blessing other tribes? Will we be faithful? This invitation is one of sacrifice. Let me be clear, it's not easy. It's one that bids us, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to come and die. But it does move us from the question of what did God save us from to what did God save us for. Right? This question and our answer matters deeply. Dark times lie ahead of us, Dumbledore says. And there will be a time when we must choose between what is right and what is easy. So let's do what's right. Today's hymn is hymn number 479. And if you want